Grab your Bibles. We're going to be in 1 Peter chapter 1. All right. On Tuesday evenings, Marcy and I um, help lead the young adult group here at the church. Um, and over the, over the past few months, we've been going through the book of 1 Peter. Um, we also, in the men's group on Thursday mornings, have also been going through it. So it's been awesome to kind of double dip and learn stuff at the first one and then sound smart at the second one. Like, But <laughs> it's been a good one uh, to go through. It's been both challenging and encouraging uh, to me. And so this morning, I'd like to share with you just the opening of Peter's letter. Uh, but before we get into our text, we need a little bit of background, right? It's always good before we get into scripture. Oh, man, I'm going to have a wind problem today. All right. Before we get into scripture, it's a good it's an opportunity for us to kind of remind us who's who's speaking, who's writing the letter, who are they writing it to and kind of what are the circumstances here. Now, does anybody know who wrote first Peter? <laughs> Peter, right? Yeah, I see a few hands going up. Peter, right? So, Peter, first Peter, of course, written by Peter, the apostle Peter, the disciple who walked with Jesus, right? This is the, the Peter who sliced off the ear of the guard who came to arrest Jesus uh, on the night in which he was betrayed, right? He was ready to die serving his Lord, and yet famously, later that night, would deny him three times. And of course, that's not the end of the story for Peter. He was restored by Jesus later on when Jesus said to feed my sheep, feed my lambs. And that's what we see here in this text. We see the fulfillment of Christ's command to feed his sheep. Peter's a man who had experienced the grace and mercy of God personally. Right? He had seen our risen Lord in the flesh. He was there when Christ ascended into heaven. He was there at Pentecost when the Holy Spirit was poured out on the disciples, on the apostles. Peter was a, a leader in the early church, and now 30 years have gone by, and he's writing this letter, probably from Rome, to churches scattered throughout Asia Minor. It seems that the, the Christians that he's writing this to, that they had experienced persecution in their homeland and found themselves as strangers in a strange land. And Peter's writing to them to remind them of the living hope they have in Jesus. He wants them to know that no matter what trials they suffer, no matter what they go through, that God is with them and he will see them through. And I think this is a, an important message for us today as the world around us kind of continues to change and we, we start to feel stranger and stranger in the community and society we live in. So it's my hope today that we can be reminded that God has secured for us a new birth and an inheritance that can never be taken away. And that no matter what happens to us, God will see us through. And so let's, let's read our text, 1 Peter chapter 1, uh, 1 through 9. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ to God's elect, exiles in the world, scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, 
Asia and Bithynia, who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, through the sanctifying work of the Spirit, for obedience to Jesus Christ and sprinkling by His blood. Grace and peace be yours in abundance. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In His great mercy, He has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade, kept in heaven for you who through faith are being shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief of all kinds of various trials. These have come so that your faith, of greater worth than gold, which perishes, even though refined by fire, may be proved genuine and may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy for you are receiving the goal of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Now this letter is written to God's elect exiles. This is an interesting phrase because we see two words we don't often see together elect exiles. Now elect simply means chosen, chosen by God. And exiles means people that are living in a land that is not their home. So these Christians are both God's redeemed people and strangers in a strange land. Now Peter begins by reminding them of their relationship with the triune God, right? What we would call the Trinity. He addresses this letter to these elect exiles who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ and sprinkling by His blood. And man, a whole sermon could be preached just on verse 2. I hope someday maybe I have the opportunity to do that. Today I'm going to focus mostly on verses 3 through 9. But I want to point out that this is a one of the key places we see the Trinity on display, right? And I have a, a habit in my Bible where I'll, I'll make a little Trinity symbol next to the verses where we see kind of the three persons um, highlighted, where we see that God is one God in three persons. And so as, as much as I want to camp here and talk about this, I think we're going to move on to hear what, what Peter's words of encouragement are for these believers who find themselves in a strange land. Because I love the way he opens this next section. He says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Peter just erupts in praise to God. I think sometimes we can just buzz by verses like this, right? And we kind of like, oh, this is kind of like filler somehow. We just kind of like read right past it and go to like looking for something where the Bible tells us what to do. We just kind of like keep going until we find the instructions. But I want to draw your attention to this. Peter's about to remind them of what God has done for them in raising Christ from the dead and how that changes and has changed their life. Reading this should cause our hearts to cry out as well, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? All right, let's read what Peter is so excited about here. He continues in verse 3, he says, 
according to his great mercy, God has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. The English Standard Version puts it a different way. It says that God has caused us to be born again to a living hope, which is just an awesome picture. Caused us to be born again to a living hope. But what does it mean that we've been given new birth? What does it mean that we've been born again? Let's break this down a little bit here. Peter says that God has given us new birth. He has caused us to be born again. Maybe you've taken something old and made it new. Maybe you've had the experience of taking something broken and fixing it. A few weeks ago, Marcy and I were out garage sailing. We love to go garage sailing, especially down in Lapine. Like, you find the coolest stuff. I don't know. Ben's okay, but, like, Lapine's where it's at. Um, you find the coolest stuff. We found an old reel-to-reel tape deck a few weeks ago, which was awesome. If you don't know what a reel-to-reel is, it's like a giant cassette tape deck. If you don't, if you don't know what a cassette tape is, it's like a one-album iPod. And if you... You don't know what an iPod is. I don't know. It's a music player, guys. <laughs> Things are changing kind of fast, I realized when I was thinking about this. But anyway, it's a machine that plays music. I found one. And the guy assured me, I don't know if you've been to a garage show, this guy assured me, hey, a week ago, I said, how long has it been since you played, you had this running? And he said, oh, a week ago. I was listening to music a week ago. Now it's in his shed under an inch of dust. And I'm, I'm like, I don't think so. But like, the price is right. Sure, let's get it home. And it, I mean, it looked bad. Like, I knew kind of what I was getting into, right? It looked like it, it should be almost thrown away. Like, if you donate to Goodwill, they'd be like, no, no, don't even bring that inside. We don't want it infecting the rest of the good stuff. Like, it was bad. So I pay the man, I bring it home. I set it up on my desk. I start looking at it, and I go, man, this thing might need a little more work than I thought, like, it was going to need. So I start to clean up, you know, I get my simple green out, just douse it in simple green, start cleaning everything up with the cloths, and I get it looking good, right? But then the time comes where it's like, it has to work too, right? And it doesn't, of course, like it doesn't do anything. I don't know how he was listening to it a week ago. <laughs> I do know how, but I'm not going to say it. Anyway, so I open up the back. There's a literal mouse nest, okay? Honest. There's a mouse nest. I mean, there's no mice, like everybody calm down, but like... There was a mouse nest I pulled out the back. Anyway, this story's going to be way too long, but I replaced the little felt pads for the brakes. I oil all the motors. I, you know, use a heat gun to get the mechanisms working again and re-lubricate re them. You know, I shine up the wood with oil. I'm buffing the stainless steel. I do all this stuff, get it working again, order some parts off eBay. I like all the new rubber belts and everything. And it's running good now. Like, it's awesome. Like, I can play music on it, you know, um... I get that tape hiss I was looking for when I play it, but it now has life again, okay? I, I gave it new life. In this same way, God fixes us from the inside out, right? He doesn't just make us look shiny and new. I think he does that, but he also recreates us from the inside. He restores us to what he originally created us to be before sin, our sin, had destroyed everything. Second Corinthians tells us that if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone and the new has come. 
This is one of those verses that a lot of people know because we need to know, right? We need to remind ourselves of what God has done for us in Christ. We've been given a new birth through faith in Jesus. So we've been given a new birth, but into what? It says here, into a living hope. In fact, it says, into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. So why is our hope a living hope? Our hope is alive because God raised Jesus from the dead, amen? I mean, that's what Easter's about. I used to I used to love Easter services when I was a kid. I used to love going to church on Easter morning. And of course it was to praise God for what he had done in raising Jesus. But there was another reason I loved it. And maybe some of you guys remember this. It was one of the only times I could like yell in church. So the pastor would come out and he would go, he is risen. And we'd all be like, he is risen indeed. Like just totally insane. My dad's here here. Today, he, he can vouch for that. Like, it was insane. I could yell as loud as I wanted, and they did it multiple times a service. It was like the gift they kept giving. and I, I loved it. <laughs> we did this to express the living hope that we had in our risen Lord. Peter goes on here to say that our hope is through the resurrection and into an inheritance. I mean, that sounds good, right? An inheritance. Everybody wants an inheritance. I've never really gotten an inheritance yet, so like my frame of reference for an inheritance is a board game called, called Monopoly that I always regret playing. You know, you're sitting there, it's late in the game, it's like five hours in. People are just trying to lose so they can go to sleep. And you land on community chests, and it's like, oh, man, I'm going to get hotel repairs. I know it. Like, this is going to be over, and I'm going to have to do all this math I don't want to do. And instead, you flip it over, and it's like, you inherit 100 bucks, And it's like, yes! And then you're like, wait. <laughs> I can survive for one more turn. I'm not sure I'm still enjoying this, but I promise. They made me promise I wouldn't quit, so here we are. Of course, once the game's over, that inheritance means nothing. You know, it's gone and forgotten. But God has an inheritance for us that can never perish, spoil, or fade. And God is bringing his people to this inheritance. Peter even tells them that their inheritance is kept in heaven for them. Who through faith are being shielded by God's power until the coming of of salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. The inheritance he's writing about is a restored relationship with our Creator, right? It's Sure, it's treasure, it's eternity, but it's, it's being in the presence of God. Like, that's what we're looking for. That's what we're looking forward to. And all this kept in heaven for you. To help us understand this, I read an author one time who shared the illustration of a surprise party. Who makes a surprise party happen? The host, right? So they're responsible for sending out the invitations. They're responsible for the decorations, for putting the little plastic sheets over all the tables, for setting, for 
giving everybody a little kazoo, you know. It's been a long time since I've been to a surprise party, but you're they gotta make sure the pizza arrives on time. Like they're they're in charge of everything. You know, they can't even trust other people usually to make sure it happens because it has to be right. And at some point, the time comes to make sure that the person, you know, is, is picked up and make sure they arrive. So the host is not only responsible for every detail of the party, but they're also responsible for making sure the guest arrives safely. Hear this. God has not only prepared a place in heaven for you, he's not only prepared an inheritance for you, but he's the one who's responsible for making sure you get there. And he does this through the death and resurrection of Jesus. See, on the cross, Jesus took the punishment that you had earned. He took your sins upon himself so that you could have new life with God. And if you are in Christ, if you believe that it's by his death you are healed, and that by his resurrection you are made new, then you've been born again to inheritance that can never spoil. And why does an inheritance come? It comes through the death of a relative. It comes because of a relationship. Our inheritance comes because of the death of Jesus and our relationship with him. See, through faith in Jesus, we have become God's children. We learn this in, in the first chapter of John, in the Gospel of John, verse 12. It says that to all who did receive Jesus who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Like, what a, what a cool thing that is. Now, if this is true, if we who are God's children stand to inherit eternal life with God, if we've been born again to a living hope and an inheritance that can never fade, how does that change our life here and now? Oh, I would say, first and foremost, just, just as in Peter, it creates worship in us, right? I mean, that's why we're here. That's why we're all sitting in the cold, you know, all bundled up. It creates worship in us. Peter says in verse 6, In all this you greatly rejoice. In a few verses, he'll say that they are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. See, when we've experienced the grace of God, we can't help but praise Him. What's interesting here, though, is the context in which they are rejoicing. The verse continues with, Though now for a little while you may have had to suffer griefs of all kinds of trials. See, they're not rejoicing because their life was easy, right, or comfortable. They're not thanking God every day because they're prosperous or wealthy. No, their lives were difficult. They did not fit in with the people around them. 
In chapter 4 of 1 Peter, it'll tell us that because the Christians didn't take part in the X-rated idolatry associated with worshiping the Roman gods, they were distrusted and hated. The people looked at them and said, you're not, you're not part of us. You're something else. You're making the gods angry. And so they were outcasts. And their lives were very difficult because of that. Following Jesus can cost us something. And it had cost them something. Just as Jesus had promised his disciples it would. This reminds us of a scene in John 16 where Jesus is kind of preparing his disciples for his departure. And they don't really understand what's coming. They don't really understand that the Messiah must die for them. They don't understand that he's going to raise again in three days. But Jesus says before he's going to the cross, he assures them that time of suf- times of suffering are coming for them. But he tells them this. I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but what? Take heart, for I have overcome the world. And that's really the type of suffering in view here. They're suffering because they belong to Jesus, and yet they greatly rejoice because of their living hope. And as we read on, Peter assures these Christians that their suffering is not meaningless. When we suffer for Christ, we may be tempted to wonder, why isn't God making this easier? Why does it seem like the world is winning? Why does it seem like people who are fighting against God are advancing and the people of God are retreating? We may wonder, why is God allowing this? And yet, speaking of these very trials, Peter says, These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith, of greater worth than gold, which perishes, even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. The idea here is that gold, which even though refined and of great value to the world, right? It's like a pretty valuable thing to have. A lot of people are investing in gold these days. It's destroyed in the end. But our faith has value not only in this world, but in the world to come. The thought here is don't spend your life securing an inheritance that will just be destroyed. Instead, spend your life worshiping a God who has already secured an inheritance for you that can never spoil. Let me say that again. Don't don't spend your life working towards an inheritance that will be destroyed. Instead, worship the God who secured an eternal inheritance for you. Your faith in God is the greatest gift you could ever receive. God's Word tells us that our faith is purified by trials. Even though trials hurt while they're happening and they're not fun or comfortable or easy, they're for our good. There's another reason suffering comes to the Christian. It has to do with the glory of God. 
In finding our hope and faith in Jesus, God is glorified. Our passage today, again, says these have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. And there's something here I think that's easy to miss if we're not reading carefully. Suffering and trials come to the Christian for following Jesus so that our faith in God is shown to be real. And in this, God is glorified. God is glorified in faith that endures, but why? Is it because we buckle down and just use all of our willpower to keep following Jesus and doing what's right? It's because we use all of our energy to try to just discipline ourselves to follow God. And so he's glorified in us because we're good, good little children. Now, God is glorified in this because he is the one who caused you to be born again into a living hope. He is the one who shields you by his power. He not only prepared your inheritance, but he's the one responsible for getting you there. And he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of our Lord Jesus. So God has glorified us when we suffer for his name because it shows the world that we are his and that his work in us is real. In verse 8 we read, Though you have not seen him, you love him. Even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Peter says, though you have not seen him, you love him. See, what's interesting here is Peter had seen Jesus, right? So he's writing to a people who had heard and believed. What an amazing thing it must have been for Peter to see the unfolding of God's plan. All these things Jesus talked about when he walked with them on the earth, about drawing people to himself, about building a church that even the gates of hell, could, hell, hell couldn't prevail against. Hell doesn't have a... Hell? Now I'm getting confused. Hell doesn't have a chance either. All right, there we go. <laughs> he got to see this plan unfolding, right? Just what, what an amazing thing must have been to see Jesus gather his sheep. For someone like Peter to, 30 years later, just be writing a letter to someone across the world who had never seen Jesus, had only heard and believed. Like, it's just, it blows my mind. Jesus has said to his disciples, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And here it was, just as he had said. These were Peter's descendants in the faith, and so are we. Even though they don't see him now, they believe and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. And we are filled with joy, and we're filled because we have confidence that God will see us through. As I wrap this up, I want to share with you a picture of our living hope and inheritance that we find in Revelation 21. 
And before you start flipping there, I, I just ask you to close your eyes. Let me read it to you. This is a picture of the end of the story. This is a picture of what our living hope is all about. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them and will be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. He who is seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. He said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give water without cost, from the spring of the water of life. Those who are victorious will inherit all of this, and I will be their God, and they will be my children. Amen. Let's pray. God, we praise you. We praise you for giving us a new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of your Son and for bringing us into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade, kept in heaven for us. Continue to shield us by your power until the coming of your salvation. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.